The song we have just sung speaks of glorious truths about what it took for us to experience freedom from sin. To paint a picture for us of what it required, what our sins deserved, and what it took for our bondage, for our guilt, for our condemnation uh, to be fully met, fully paid for. Pray that you would uh, meditate on the truths of the song that we have just sung and consider that the freedom that we have experienced and been given by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that freedom came to us at an enormous price. The subject of the message this morning is living your freedom well. Let me ask you as a way of introduction, what are some characteristics of the teenage years? Take some time, and I see some of our teenagers looking at their parents with a smile. Take just some, a few moments in your mind, rehearsing quietly. Uh, what are some characteristics of the teenage years? Whether you are a teenager yourself, uh, or if you are a college student and just came out of your teenage season, or a young adult, or a parent, or a grandparent who has children, or grandchildren who are now teenagers. Teenage years are a season of transition. Transition uh, where these human beings called teenagers go through significant growth in their physical bodies, the growth spurt that happens. They also experience growth in their intellectual abilities, growth in their personality. Their personality just sort of comes out in some significant ways, uh, usually, hopefully, in good ways, sometimes in rocky ways. But also, it's a season of transition and growth in their responsibilities and freedoms. Uh, the freedom that comes in the teenage years or transition towards freedom that comes in the teenage years uh, is accompanied or should be with a sense of responsibility to use that freedom well. Every parent's desire is to see their teenagers growing in using their freedoms well, safely, without making a wreck of their lives. Sadly, learning to use our freedom well, especially in teenage years, is an uphill battle with many dangers along the way. And there are consequences when we fail 
to learn how to use our freedom well. And the challenge of learning to use our freedom well is not only a challenge in the teenage years. It stays with us, even as adults. And it's a challenge not only for all of us in general, but also it is a challenge particularly for us as Christians. As Christians, especially when you are a young Christian, one of the important lessons we must learn is how to use our freedom as Christians well. And this text that we are looking at today is going to teach us the secret for living our freedom in Christ well. Would you open God's Word to Galatians chapter 5? We'll be reading from verse 16 to verse 26. Galatians chapter 5, we'll be reading from verse 16 to verse 26. This text is so packed with truth that we need to consider that we will actually have two sermons on this passage. And here is sermon one. Here's God's word before we get into, it, into the sermon. The Apostle Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's Word for us. Would you join me in asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearts as we hear? Let's pray. Father, we are dependent on your spirit. Even as we have heard this word spoken to us, read for us, we are dependent on your spirit to hear this message. Father, I'm dependent on your spirit to proclaim it. So we pray that you would speak to us in a way that Christ would be exalted. And the work and the, and the ministry of the, of the Holy Spirit in our gathering and in our lives uh, would be emphasized and upheld gloriously. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. 
If you have been with us in the series, uh, Working Through Our Way, uh, through the book of uh, Galatians, you may remember that the behavior of the Galatian Christians clearly showed that they were not using their freedom well. They have not been using their freedom in Christ well. Chapter 5 uh, started with a call, with a plea. Don't squander your freedom by returning back to the law. We saw that in verses 1 through 12. After that, in verses 13 through 15, which we looked at last week, Paul challenged them not to misuse their freedom by living for themselves. So the first challenge was, don't squander your freedom. The second challenge is, don't misuse your freedom. But how? That's easier said than done. How are Christians to be equipped to ensure that they will not misuse their freedom in Christ? How are you ensure, to ensure that you are not using your freedom for wrong purposes and instead are using your freedom well? The short answer this text gives us is by walking by the Spirit. The answer is understanding the Spirit, the role of the Spirit inside us, walking by the Spirit. So the, the main point, the main argument of this message today is to teach us the secret to living your freedom well is walking by the Spirit. The secret to living your freedom well as a Christian is to walk by the Spirit. And this text starts and ends with a call to walk by the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit. I wonder if you saw that in verse 16 and in verse 25. It's as if this text is, is put in, in these parentheses, uh, guarding the teaching of our freedom and how to use our freedom well by these pillars, like, like the pillars of a bridge, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. The Spirit that is referred here is not our spirit. It's not the human spirit. It's the Spirit of God. And that Spirit is mentioned in this text seven times. In other words, understanding the Spirit's role in the believer is essential for living our freedom in Christ well. And I'm so glad that Chris agrees with me. My prayer for each of us who are believers is that this message would fortify us to maintain our freedom in Christ by walking by the Spirit and doing so continually. Our main arsenal, and this is my prayer, that we would realize that our main arsenal for maintaining 
the freedom of the Spirit, the freedom in Christ is by walking by the Spirit. Three truths that we see this morning from this passage about walking by the Spirit so that we may live our freedoms well. Three truths of what it means to walk by the Spirit so that we would use our freedoms well. Now, let me say a note here. If any of us this morning, if anyone among us is attending and you're not a believer, I want to say to you that these truths of what it means to walk by the Spirit are not conditions or prerequisites for being a Christian. I want to say that early on. Because if you're not a believer, it may feel like you're listening to what we're going to say from this passage. It's like, wow, I can't do that. Well, you can't. And I want to make sure you understand that these are not prerequisites for you to become a Christian. These are realities that happen inside of us after we become Christians, as a result of becoming a Christian. So I want to make sure that no one who is not a believer would somehow mishear this message today and the next one next week as if these are conditions or prerequisites. No, this is a reality that the Spirit creates in us when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we turn away and recognize our bondage and reach out to God and ask Him to save us. So let's listen to what it means for us to walk by the Spirit in order to use our freedom well, to live out our freedom well. Three realities. The first one, walking by the Spirit keeps the bondage at bay. Walking by the Spirit keeps the bondage at bay. We see this in verses 16 through 18. And this first section, verses 16 through 18, ends on, a, on an interesting promise. It says in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does it mean to be no longer under the law? In the book of Galatians, the language of not being under the law means being freed from the bondage that the law has brought us because we have broken it. When we break God's law, we become enslaved to our sin. We become enslaved to the passions uh, of corruption. When we are being led by the Spirit of God, the path He leads us on is no longer the path of bondage. So being led by the Spirit is the path of keeping the bondage at bay. But how? How does that happen? Well, the details start with verse 16. Look at what Paul says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The first part of this verse is a command. Walk by the Spirit. But the second part of the verse is a promise. It's not a command. And the promise is, when we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
In other words, a secret sauce for not gratifying the desires of the flesh is not to put our confidence in our obedience to the law or in the ability of the law to help us stay on the right track. Rather, is to put our confidence and reliance on the Spirit's presence and work in our lives. To seek His empowerment, to seek, seek His leading, to be conscientious of His presence and indwelling in you. But there's a problem to be aware of. The Spirit inside us, when the Spirit comes inside us, and that happens at the moment of salvation, when the Spirit comes inside us, He is not a welcomed guest by our sinful desires. The presence of the Spirit coming inside us when at the moment of salvation does not create a cozy atmosphere for our flesh. Rather, it creates a battle zone with our own desires. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, remember, the flesh here refers not to our physical human body, but to the human nature that has been corrupted by sin. The human nature that we inherit, that we have inside of us. The flesh refers to our corrupt nature, which has desires and passions that want independence from God and want to contradict God's design and will for us. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you must be aware of this new conflict that begins happening in your life, really starting at the moment of conversion. When the Spirit of God comes inside you, the desires of the flesh do not welcome or receive the Spirit's presence and leading. And by the way, the same goes for the Spirit. When the Spirit comes inside of us and takes residence inside our being, He begins being irritated by the desires of the flesh. And He begins opposing the desires of the flesh. The Spirit of God inside us does not want to yield to the desires of the flesh. May I say, they are not happy roommates. They're always in tension with one another. They always rub each other the wrong way. We live our freedom well when we understand this tension. When we are aware of this tension and when we take the right side, the right side in this tension. And this is where the command of verse 16 meets us, challenges us. 
walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who is battling in us against the flesh. The Spirit of God inside us is the one who opposes the flesh. We're not alone in battling against the flesh. Actually, if we were alone, we would never battle it. If we were alone, we would never pick up the fight. But God put his spirit inside of us to wage war against the desires of our flesh. And the question is, which side are you taking in this tension? Is it the side of the flesh or the side of the spirit? And the discernment of which side you're taking is going to be an indicator of whether or not you are learning to use your freedom in Christ well. How do you walk by the Spirit? Well, using your freedom well means being aware that the culprit of bondage is not outside yourself, but inside you. The inner desires of your corrupt nature are siding with the bondage. They prefer to remain in bondage to corruption. That's why they're corrupted. Corrupt desires will incline toward corrupt passions, toward corrupt means, toward corrupt works. So an, imp an important step in walking by the Spirit is first and foremost to become aware of this tension that is inside of you. So let me ask you, are you aware of it? Are you aware that the Spirit of God inside you wants to oppose the desires of your flesh? If, if you are oblivious to this tension, you will likely not be discerning well what you are walking by. To walk by the Spirit requires, first and foremost, that we are aware and attentive to this inner battle. And this is what the first few verses in this passage are aimed to help us understand. That the Spirit and the flesh fight against each other. Now, reliance on the Spirit, or walking by the Spirit, is not a passive reliance. It's not that the Spirit will do the job in your place. So all you have to do is just sit in the balcony and just watch the fight. Oh, no, no, no. This tension draws you in. This tension engages you. There is no passive participation here. Just watching. Instead, the Spirit will be equipping you with a motivation, with a strength to battle the desire of the flesh. And if you don't take that side, then the flesh will engage you, will draw you in to react and to, to respond to situations in ways that clearly you are taking side in the battle. How do you know you are walking by the Spirit? When you are picking up the fight against sin in your life. When you're picking up the fight against sin in your life, you are walking by the Spirit. If you've become careless 
about fighting sin in your life, it's an indication that you are walking not by the Spirit, but by the flesh. Now, realize that there's a difference between the Spirit and your desires. The Spirit is not the same as your impressions, your feelings, your desires. Part of understanding even this tension is to recognize that your desires and the Spirit are not the same thing. We live in a day and time when even when Christians are confused about this reality. When people say, I feel led by the Spirit to do this. Or I feel the Spirit leading me to act this way. When in reality, it's only their desire. It's only their impression. Now, I am not saying that the Spirit cannot affect our feelings. The Spirit does work through our feelings as well. But just because we feel it doesn't mean that it's a spirit automatically. And often, we may not realize the difference between our feelings and impressions and the Spirit's work. So be cautious of not associating that your feelings are and your impressions are necessarily the Spirit's leading. Focusing on the Spirit's presence and leading in your life, first and foremost, will draw you to depend greater on Scripture. Which, by the way, have been inspired by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to lead you always in an instinct towards the Scriptures. Because the scriptures have been inspired by the Spirit. He's not going to lead you in some way of on your own kind of spirituality away from the scriptures. Focusing on the Spirit is not to be in a vacuum apart from the Word of God. If you try to separate being led by the Spirit from the Word of God, it will be very quickly unclear whether you're following your own fuzzy desires or the actual Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will always draw you to the Word of God, not away from it. And, and the Spirit of God will also draw you to the people of God, not away from them. Because the people of God are those in whom the Spirit of God also dwells. So, the call to walk by the Spirit is not a call to isolation. It's not a call to subjectivism. It's not a call simply to an inward, mystical journey of feelings. The Spirit of God will draw you to the Word of God. The Spirit of God will draw you to the people of God. And the Spirit of God will lead you to interact well with others in a way that edifies them, which is what the Galatians were missing. The book of Galatians challenges believers not only to get back to the true gospel, not only to stay away from turning from the gospel to go into, towards a works righteousness or legalistic dimension of righteousness, the book of Galatians calls believers also to watch out in how they're interacting with one another. 
because it's very possible, especially when we battle doctrines, it's very possible that what happens in the way we begin battling each other. So walking by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit helps us keep the bondage at bay. That's the first point. But how do you know you're walking by the Spirit? The second truth we see in this passage about walking by the Spirit is that walking by the Spirit produces fruit. Walking by the Spirit produces fruit. Look at how verse 22 starts. But the fruit of the Spirit is. In other words, how do you know you walk by the Spirit? It's not only that you are picking up the fight against your sinful desires of the flesh. It's also that a host of positive realities, new realities, become apparent in your life. In our text, the fruit of the Spirit is contrasted with the works of the flesh, which Paul says they are also evident in our lives. You can't miss it, in other words. Here's the evidence. When you see these realities in your life, you are safe to conclude that you are walking by the flesh instead of the Spirit. Listen to a list of some realities. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And let me pause there. It's like, okay, we, we get these. We know Scripture speaks against these. But let me start or keep going through a section of realities that we tend to be a lot more loose with. Enmity or people being at war with one another, fighting with each other, not just nations. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and then a few others, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now we will look at the contrast between this list and the list of the fruit of the Spirit more in detail next week, Lord willing. But for now, let me just emphasize that the Spirit inside of us is not creating just a passive reality or a mystical experience or a fuzzy feeling. The Spirit inside of us wants to fight against every one of these kind of works. So when we're tempted to act in these ways that we have just listed, the Spirit, He gets acclimated. He's like, I, I can't let you live in this way. I'm bothered by the fact that you're living in this way. I'm, I'm declaring war against you living in this way. The Spirit inside does not just sit there and do nothing. He wants to work and oppose the flesh that would live and act in this kind of way. 
you know that you are walking by the Spirit when the fruit of the Spirit instead becomes evident in your life. And the realities of what the Spirit produces when He takes control, when His dominion, when His role is really followed, the realities that happen begin growing inside us are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the byproduct of walking by the Spirit. We don't fabricate these realities inside of us, but the Spirit does when we walk by Him. The surprising comment in this contrast between these two lists is the phrase at the end of verse 22, and that's what I want to land on for a second. Paul says, against such things there is no law. What a surprising comment at the end of the list of the fruit of the Spirit what does it mean and why is Paul bringing this up? Against such things there is no law. When we walk by the Spirit and the Spirit produces these realities in us, it's not that we are above the law, as if the law no longer applies to us. When people say, are you above the law? Are you better than the law? The law doesn't apply to you anymore? No, that's not, that, that's not the meaning of it. Rather, the point of it is to say that we are in the realm where the law has proven to be ineffective and can't operate. I love how F.F. F. Bruce explains it. Paul means that when these realities, when these qualities are in view, we are in a sphere in which the law has nothing to do. The law may prescribe certain forms of conduct and prohibit others but love, joy, peace, and the rest cannot be legally enforced. Think of, of this illustration, and one Bible teacher put it this way. A vine does not produce grapes by act of parliament. They are the fruit of the vine's own life. You can sit and give a talk to a, to a vine all you want or to a branch that's disconnected from the vine all you want. That branch will not produce fruit if it's disconnected from the vine. The only way for that branch to be fruitful and begin growing grapes is if the vine and the branch are connected. In a similar way, for this list of fruits of the Spirit to be saying that against these things there is no law is to say that we are now in the realm where the law has proven to be ineffective, inoperative. We need something else than the law to bring about this fruit inside of us. And that something else is the Spirit of God living inside of us. What this means is that in order for us to experience what the law commands and cannot bring about inside of us, we actually need something of God himself to bring into us that which he requires. 
Only something from God himself will be able to produce in our lives the commands and the realities that the law requires of us. And that's something else, that, that divine nature is the Spirit of God inside of us. Oh, friends, do you realize that when we have the Spirit of God inside of us, we have a precious reality. We are finally able to experience in our lives what the law could never produce in us because it takes the Spirit of God to come and dwell in us to bring about the kind of change, the kind of fruit that characterizes the kingdom of God. So when we walk by the Spirit, we experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and thus we are living out the freedom that God has brought to us. That we are living the freedom that God has intended for us. That's the point of against such things there's no law. So let me ask you, is this the freedom you have in mind when you think of your freedom in Christ? Is it the freedom that manifests itself through the fruit of the Spirit? Or is it the freedom of living for your flesh, which manifests in vastly different works, as we have seen? Walking by the Spirit produces fruit in us. But there is a third point in our text about walking by the Spirit. The walking by the Spirit is motivated by our initial salvation. Walking by the Spirit is motivated by our initial salvation. In verses 24 and 25, Paul speaks of two experiences that have taken place in the lives of believers. A prior dying and a prior coming to life. I wonder if you see this in verse 25, 24 and 25. Both of these assume an experience that has taken place for the Christian and continues to have a present implication for us. Consider the dying the Christian experience at the moment of conversion. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. On one side, we need to say you cannot walk by the Spirit if you don't belong to Christ. You cannot walk by the Spirit if you don't belong to Christ. And belonging to Christ means that the Spirit of God begins to dwell in you. And if, if you have not experienced that reality, what it calls of us, what the first step for you to do is to, one, acknowledge your sin Second, ask God to forgive you and to unite you to Christ. To save you by the blood of Christ. And that prayer of repentance and that prayer of trusting yourself on Christ to be saved is, is one of the manifestations that the Spirit is already working inside of us, bringing life into our souls. When we turn away from our sin and turn to Christ and depend on Christ for salvation, the Spirit of God comes inside of us, dwells in us. But something happens in trusting on Christ. It's not merely that we 
put our reliance on Jesus to be saved is that in calling on the Lord to save us, we are also in that same act turning our back towards that from which we need to be saved from. When we put our faith in Christ, we are united with Christ in his death. But if Christ died for sin, if Christ died for our sin, if Christ was crucified for our sin, our union with Jesus by faith means that we also turn our back towards a sin that put Jesus on the cross. And practically, this means turning to Christ through faith is also a turning away from sin through repentance. This is why faith and repentance are inseparable graces. You cannot separate these. To put your faith in Jesus for salvation, to say, I want to put my trust in the death of Christ on the cross for my sin, implies in the same moment, in the same experience, that I'm turning away from the sin that would cause Christ to be crucified on the cross. So when we turn to Christ by faith and rely on his death in our place, we're not only putting our trust in him as our substitute, we are agreeing with him that our sin deserves death. But how can you agree with Christ that our sin deserves death and at the same time refuse to turn away from those sins which trigger the death? Do you see why placing our faith in Jesus is one facet of the same coin and the other facet is repentance from sin? Do you understand how that works? The cross of Jesus is the doom of sin put on display. And in the cross of Jesus, the doom of our sin is put on display. That's why I love the song we have sung before the sermon, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. So to take the death of Jesus on the cross by faith as a substitute for us means that we embrace by faith the death of our flesh with its desires and passions. That's the first part of what happens in our initial salvation. But the second reality that happens in our initial salvation is not only that we have died with Christ, but also that we have come to life with Him. And this also happens through the Spirit. That's how Paul starts in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit. That's how he starts. If we live by the Spirit. Now he's not saying that he's uncertain if we live by the Spirit. This is not the if that puts a doubt on you. This is the if that can also, could be translated with since. Since we live by the Spirit. And actually, some of the translations interpret this uh, in, in that way. And it's also... Since we live by the Spirit, since the Spirit of God is a source of our life, what does that do to us now? Paul says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
The language of keeping in step with the Spirit is similar to the language of walking by the Spirit that showed up in verse 16. Uh, the NASB says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. But the keeping in step with the Spirit is more than just walking by the Spirit or following the lead of the Spirit. Uh, the Bible translation, one of the Bible translations puts it this way, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Uh, those of you who are musically inclined, you know what it means to keep in tempo and not lag behind. Uh, we are working with Kara these days on her metronome in her music lessons. And it's a challenge uh, right now. Um, the, the metronome keeps the, the tempo. And she's supposed to play the notes in step with the tempo, not outside of step with the tempo. In a similar way, the Spirit calls us, enables us, leads us to live in its path. But not only to live in its path like 10 miles behind. It's to keep in step with the Spirit. To keep the tempo of the Spirit. Not to be on your tempo, but the Spirit's tempo. Oh, friends, I love how John Calvin puts this picture. The death of the flesh is the life of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives inside us, let Him govern our actions. That's why He's there. Let Him call the shots in our lives against the desires of the flesh. The Spirit of God fuels you with the desire and the strength not to gratify the desires of the flesh inside you. The Spirit of God will fuel you with the motivation and the perseverance. He's not giving you a free pass on the desires of your flesh. He's calling you to act, to pick up the arms. The Spirit of God will equip you for the battle to continue to oppose the desires of the flesh. And what should motivate you in this fight is to remember what happened in you at the moment of conversion. Remember what it means or meant to be saved in the first place. Those who have a distorted view of conversion will have a distorted view of what it means to walk by the Spirit. What do I mean by having a distorted view of conversion? It's not uncommon, especially in a society, in a culture where Christianity is very widespread, like our society, uh, to live in a nominal Christian experience. The nominal Christian experience is thinking that you're Christian, but it's only an in-name-only experience. Nothing truly has happened in the heart. And, and there's, there's a number of reasons why that's promoted, that's propagated. One of them, one of the ways that nominal Christianity is promoted is that it calls people to just accept Jesus or trust in Jesus without ever making clear the call to repentance. Without ever making clear that trusting in Christ calls us away from sin. And we've understood here why it, that's the case. And it's not uncommon for Christians who live in a nominal Christian experience to say, yeah, I've heard about Jesus, I've heard about 
you know, praying the prayer, you know, doing the church thing, getting baptized, but I've never understood or been clear about the call for repentance. That was never made clear to me when I first understood the gospel. One of the ways we can be careful with not promoting our nominal Christianity is in the way we evangelize. We should not evangelize in a way that only calls people to accept Jesus as if they're accepting a Costco membership or a membership with American Express. And here's all the benefits and perks if you have this credit card. That is not the gospel. Accepting Jesus by faith is accepting the reason why he died on the cross. Accepting the ugliness of sin and the call for you to actually turn away from it. And that turning away from sin is not possible in your power. It's possible only through the Holy Spirit who starts living inside of you. But when we make the gospel clear in how we evangelize, that's a call to both turn away from sin and put your faith in Jesus. And these are not two different things. They happen together. Uh, We are actually helping people to live their Christian lives when they become Christians. Because they will not be surprised, like, oh, I didn't read the small print. Oh, if I had known that this is what Christianity is about, I would have not embarked on the journey. It's our duty as Christians to make sure we make the gospel clear, that the gospel calls us to turn away from sin and trust in Jesus. It's both. And both is part of the package. So that when now we are Christians, we look back and understand our initial salvation experience and we're not surprised. But rather, oh, I see. I know I was told. I was given the the warning that if anyone would follow Jesus, he must first deny himself, pick up the cross, and then follow Jesus. I was like, is that part of sharing the gospel? Yes, it is. Jesus used these words when he saw the crowds coming after him and says, hey, wait, if you're going to follow me, I just want to make sure you understand what it means to, to follow me. It's a call to dying to self and put our faith in Jesus so that when we consider what it means to walk by the Spirit, we can go back to our initial salvation experience and says, yes, I remember this is what I was told. This is what I... I understood. This is what I signed up for. So now I want to walk by the Spirit because this is a reality which I have believed in the first place when I understood the gospel. Well, friends, one of the ways we can encourage one another in our walk by the Spirit is to make sure we understand the gospel clearly and to make sure that we refresh that gospel motivation for us regularly. If you are here this morning and you realize, perhaps I grew up in a Christian context where the call to repentance was not clear to me. Well, friends, it's never too late to turn to the Lord in repentance and faith today. And I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord. And even if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you've not understood the importance of, of crucifying your flesh, of, of, of dying to yourself as part of what it means to rely on Jesus. If that's not been your experience, we want to encourage one another through our life together as a congregation. Oh, friends, what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? 
means that we go back to the motivation of our salvation in the first place. When we go back to the initial experience of salvation, we should be motivated to walk in the Spirit today. Because we realize the only way for us to experience new life with God is through the Spirit of God bringing life to us again. And when that happens, when the Spirit of God, and when we realize the only way I have new life with God right now is because the Spirit of God came in me, when we realize that, why would we not keep in step with the Spirit that brought us life in the first place? If we have trusted in the Spirit of God to bring us life from death, why would we not trust to keep in step with the Spirit? For the Galatians, the rubber met the road of how they were not doing that. You know how and where? In verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word for conceited in the Greek language is a word that's made up of two words that can be translated vain glory. Calvin translated this verse beautifully. He said, let us not be desirous of vain glory. He says, for the vain glory of which she speaks is nothing else than ambition or the desire of honor by which everyone desires to excel all others. Mutual provocations and envyings are the daughters of ambition. Living in step with the Spirit means we turn away from seeking the vain glory that our hearts desire for ourselves. Keeping in step with the Spirit means that personal ambitions for being right or for winning the arguments, or proving that the other person is wrong, or for being the desire to be vindicated in our righteousness, all such ambitions for vain glory of ourselves. It's what stands at the root of provoking and envying one another. So what does it mean to walk or keep in step with the Spirit? It means to turn away from seeking the vain glory of ourselves. When you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not want to put the spotlight on yourself because the Spirit will not lead you in that direction. The Spirit rather will lead you in the direction of, of continuing to crucify your flesh, the desires of your flesh, to put them to death so that Christ would receive the spotlight. His work in you, His reaction in you would receive the spotlight. Oh, friends, these truths about walking by the Spirit are crucial if we're going to live our freedom well. Walking by the Spirit keeps a bondage away. Walking by the Spirit produces fruit in us. Walking by the Spirit is motivated by our initial salvation. If you are considering yourself to be a Christian, are you living your freedom that God has already given you in Christ? Are you living it well? Are you living it with a responsibility that he has given to you through the Spirit's indwelling in you? Or are you using that freedom in a way that misuses it in destructive ways?
some of us, perhaps all of us in some measure, when it comes to using our freedom in Christ, act like teenagers, struggling to learn how to use our freedom well. How to discern how to use our freedom in Christ as God has designed for that freedom to be used. Sometimes we misuse it and don't even realize it. And we, it helps to have the nudging of another believer who watches and sees and picks up on things. So are you realizing how you're using your freedom in this situation? This is why we need the family of God to help us understand the Word of God, which teaches us about the Spirit of God and His role in our lives so that we may live the freedom of God in a, in a good and pleasing way. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have put in our hearts, by faith, your Holy Spirit. The Spirit that produces in us that which the law could never bring about. Father, we praise you for Christ who has brought us the freedom from sin, from the bondage to the flesh, from the guilt of our rebellion, and thank you that through the Spirit, you now enable us to live out the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, would you fill us in increasing measures, and would you cause our hearts to desire and to choose your side in this tension against our flesh. Enable us to live a life that honors you and pleases you. Not out of guilt, not out of duty, but out of delight and gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.